Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, this is John Russin, and I'm here today with Pastor Frank Friedman and our continuing guest, uh, Nico LaHood. And the theme of our podcast series now, uh, we're calling Journeys and Stories, the power of story in which we take deeper looks into the lives of Christians, look at their experiences, some of the circumstances they faced, and what worked in their lives that drew them first to Christ as Savior and then to Christ as life. So we'll begin today by saying hello to Frank, hello to Nico. So wave back, guys, and we'll get started. Thank you for having us back, John. Okay, it's great to be here. Nico, we started last time and we sort of gave you some free reign to talk about parts of your past, talk about your ministry, the things that you've been learning, and you centered on a very powerful story, the loss of your brother. And we want to go into that as just as a launching pad into some of these deeper aspects of your walk with Jesus. But if you can, take a few moments and summarize for our listeners uh, a bit about that experience with the loss of your brother. Well, you know, as I said last time, my brother was was murdered. He was, he was shot in the face in my parents' driveway on August 15, 1996, at 2.14 in the morning. My family and I walked out moments later. And so that, that experience of, of, of seeing the effect on my parents at the time, I couldn't comprehend what it's like to go through that as a child, that, that love of a child. You know, you think you know it, you know the love of a sibling, and then it's kind of a rough, you know, love, tough love type deal. Love of a cousin, love of a friend, or what you think love is. My definition of love was not my definition now. And I saw that pain, that distraughtness, that anger, um, that you just destruction, utter destruction, picking my mom up off the floor, seeing my pop cry for the first time, helping him load my brother's body on the gurney, and then washing his blood off the driveway. That that does something to you. It does something to your to your mind, to your will, and to your emotions, obviously, that are affected by your mind. And so it was a it was a brutal crossroads in life, one that I don't wish on anybody, and it had a profound effect on me, a very negative effect on me initially. And when you look to the world, the world essentially tells you, I don't blame you for being an angry SOB and wanting to hold everybody in contempt. And, and, and as I said, I think I said this last time, John and Frank, I don't remember if I said it on this podcast, but you can't give what you don't have. At the time, I didn't know it was Matthew 22, 36 and 37. But if you don't have love, you can't give love. If you don't have grace, you can't give grace. If you don't have patience, forgiveness, you can't give any of that stuff. And so I couldn't give. I, if you asked me for 20 bucks and I only had 10, I couldn't give it to you. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of entrapment for me of anger. And, and looking around, I, the church didn't give me answers at the time. I grew up denominationally under a certain branch of the umbrella, of, under the umbrella of Christianity, but there was no relationship. It was all rules. And, and the world sure as hell didn't give me any answers. And so I was, I was literally stuck in a prism of anger 
And so I was existing. I wasn't living. Mm. We are not equipped to face that kind of circumstance. Mm. Are we, Frank? You've seen this a lot in the counseling arena, haven't you? Yeah. You know, the thing I, I'm always reminding people of, because, you know, sometimes, Nico, I get people in my office that are ashamed of their hurt, ashamed of their pain, and they try to minimize it, deny it. Uh, and I, I try to remind them that we're living in a world we were never designed to live in. Uh, we were designed for the Garden of Eden, and this is not it. And so we experience things that we weren't designed to experience. And there's no manual, you know, uh, what to do when your sister gets raped, what to do when your brother gets murdered, uh, what to do when your child has a disease. You know, there's no manual. And so we, we scramble for, for answers. We, we scramble for a way out. And, you know, in my own journey, Nico, I, I came to understand that God doesn't necessarily provide a way out. He provides himself as a way for us through what we're going through. He offers to, to be with us, like David said, in the valley of the shadow of death. And, and you know, to Isaiah, he said, you're going to go through deep waters, but, but I'm going to be there with you. And that's what he promises. So I try to lead people when they have these great wounds and, and, and small wounds to find God in a way they never knew him. Well, you and, said something, uh, Frank, you said something that was interesting to me. Maybe I'm too much of a trial lawyer, but you, you talked about God being with us because we're not designed to live in a world like this. We were designed for the Garden of Eden. Then you said that there's no manual. Hmm. And everything you just said led you to the fact that there is Emmanuel, right? <laughs> good word. That's a good word. Right? There's no manual, but there's Emmanuel. And what is Emmanuel uh, with us? So, I mean, uh, I just think it's so appropriate. And when you said it, it just, it hit my spirit. I was writing it down. Wow. And I just, I couldn't wait to share it, but I wanted to let you finish your thought. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to have to steal that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll share it. <laughs> How about we share it, brother, with my <laughs> that's it yeah. you know uh, way back years ago Hudson Taylor coined the term out of Isaiah 40 the exchanged life mm. that I get to receive his life to save me from my life so I get his strength his patience his right. kindness and boy that ties into what you said about you couldn't give what you didn't have so tell me how did you come to understand you know, in your own journey, that there wasn't a manual, there wasn't a fix, and you had to find God in a way you never knew him. Well, it's, it's trial and error, guys. I mean, so when your parents told you when you were a kid, hey, son, don't touch that. But why? It looks cool, Pop. It's, it's, it's red. Yeah, but it's red thing on a, on, a, on a stove. That means it's hot and it's going to burn you. Oh, does he really mean it's going to burn? You think it's really going to burn me, Freddie or Susie or whatever? And then when your pop doesn't look or your mom's not looking, you, you touch the thing and you burn the hell out of your hand, right? And so then you're like, okay, I get it. So it's trial and error. You're gonna, you're gonna it's, it's Luke 15, the prodigal son. Okay, you know better than me. Okay, you essentially want me to die because you want money. Okay, go on, live on your own. Okay, I'll be waiting here when you come back. And that's the grace of God. So Luke 15 is, a, is, is, is when I realized, and I didn't realize it initially, that Jesus is obsessed with lost things. And that really permeated my spirit. And he's obsessed with lost things, the lost coin, the lost sheep the lost son, all in Luke 15. He's obsessed with lost things. And I was lost. 
and 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 then and he found me. And then I when I studied him, I tried things on my own. So, and, and look, I didn't come up with this phrase, and you guys have probably heard this. You know, when the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of changing, then we change, right? Pain is a great motivator. And so I, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of unsettling. There was a lot of lack of peace. There was no peace in my life. A lot of emotions. There was no condition of peace. Shalom. He is the Prince of Peace. And so I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to try something different. So it, it's a trial and error deal. And God is so humble. He, he doesn't do this. It's Revelations 3.15 to 20. He doesn't say, hey, nah, I told you I was right. Didn't I tell you I made an appeal to you? Too, too little, too late, sucker. You're out of here. Bye. He doesn't do that. He knocks on the door and he's, and he knows you're in there and he's just saying, I'm going to keep knocking. I'm not going to knock one time. I'm going to keep knocking. And if you open the door, I will come in and dine with you. And that's our Lord. That's our daddy constantly making an appeal through the Holy spirit. When I started realizing that my way sucked and the world's way sucked and it was all temporary and it was very emotion driven versus condition driven, meaning a state of mind. It, it really, you know, but I only got there, Frank, to answer your first question. I only got there through trial and error. I mean, I tried it the other way. And, and I love that God is saying like, okay, if you, you know, I'm here. I, I'm, I'm going to be waiting. I wasn't lost. You were. I'm here. So it was one of those deals that I, I mean, I went years on my own trying to do things myself, but nothing worked out right. I mean, I, I quote unquote succeeded in the law practice. I, I was making a name for myself, but I mean, all we have to do is look at Hollywood for that. And people make a great name for themselves and then they just, they just crash and burn. There's always something deeper. You know, I'm ministering to one of my clients who is a part of a gang, a group that, that is known for doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And he's had a rough life and he's a, he's a, he's a heavyweight guy and he's a, he's a rough guy and he's a violent guy, but there's something in him that's starving for something. He had a horrible relationship with his daddy. He actually beat the hell out of his pop. As biological daddy was him just a sperm donor. He wasn't a dad. And, and uh, we just talked and he relates to me because I talk, you know me, Frank, I mean, I'm toning it down for your podcast, but I mean, I just, I'm a raw guy. You know me, Frank, we talk mm -hmm. off air, but, but, but I, I just, I reasoned with him and he's looking at me like, man, this makes too much sense. And I said, mm -hmm. I know I'm not a Christian because it's easy. I'm a Christian because it makes too much sense. And I believe the evidence that supports a first century Jew named Jesus. And I took him to church this weekend Mm. And, and may I read a text message? I'm sure, sorry. Go right I ahead. To. I'm, I'm, I would never, I would never divulge any private information. You guys don't know who he is, and, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna send some. I'm gonna read something to you that he sent this morning. We went to church yesterday. I spent about four hours total from doing this week and last week, maybe five on the phone with him answering his questions. He said, "Good day, Nico. I know you're gonna be busy, so I'm gonna make this short and sweet. I don't know what this journey is gonna lead to, but man, I woke up today excited and proud." I'm happier than normal. I think of being humble a lot more. I'm not there, but the seed I can see is hungry and to grow. So I want to say bless you and thank you. I'm honored to not have a lawyer, but a true friend I can rely on. I don't say that for any other reason that gives me, I mean, it, you talk about that warmed my heart that, that, that I'm going to say it because I said it to him. So please excuse me. I'm going to ask for permission upon I me mean, for, you know, apology, not permission, but I, I told him, I said, you know, Christ is batshit crazy about you. So I just told him like that. I go, absolutely insanely in love with you. Hmm. And, and when he sees it and this purpose, he's hungry for it. He served in the military, he shot in war. He's a tough guy. And, but he's missing something. None of this world, none of this world can give you. And I'm honored that the Lord chose me to walk with him. 
And, and that's to me what being a follower of Jesus Christ is about. Because when I think of the fact that my daddy in heaven is smiling at the fact that one of his kids is working to fish for one of his creation, because if you're not a, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not a child of God, a lot of our friends in the different denominations that we call everyone a child. No, we're all creations of God, as we know. But Romans 8, 14 says what it says in 1 John 3, 10. I mean, we are called to be adopted into his family. He wants us all to be adopted, but we're not all children of God. We're all creations of God, but he wants us to be his children. And so when I think of our daddy smiling at the fact that one of his kids is, is, is trying to get another one of his creations adopted, that motivates me. It, it motivates me. And that, that, that is a complete renewal of the mind, Romans 12, 2, renewed mind. I didn't have it before. I, I, I always talk about it in the sense of being having spiritual LASIK surgery. You know, I don't wear glasses anymore. I don't have to put in my contacts. I just wake up and I look at the world differently now. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. A, that's a renewed mind that comes from a relationship with Christ, not because of me. You know, you said that he's an obsessive lover. Uh, uh, I like it that he's batshit crazy about you. But, you know, there's a verse very obscure in the Old Testament, Zephaniah 3, 17. Mm. And it says in the English, the Lord rejoices over you with great joy. Mm. But the Hebrew literally means the Lord jumps in the air and spins around where is that frank in zephaniah 317 to leap in the air and spin around it's an ecstatic dance of exuberant love being expressed so there's the verse um what did that do to your relationship with your bride coming to understand jesus as the great lover and the life that you always needed. Well, I mean, when you when you study a biblical marriage, you understand that Jesus calls the body of Christ the bride of Christ for a reason. I mean, he loved, he expresses his love and his 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 redemption through a marriage many times. I mean, I was I was in my walk with Christ, thank God, when I met my wife. If I would have met my wife maybe even two years earlier, I, I don't know if I'd have been married. But but I'm I'm so grateful that that and I'm I wasn't where I'm at today. We celebrate 15 years in July. Um, but, but uh, the fact that the Lord, I mean, I, I, I love my wife, Frank, you know, that, um, I married up, she's too good for my stupid ass. And I'm grateful that God blessed me with her and, and she makes me a better person without even trying because she models it. We don't argue. And I'm just saying that's not to brag. I mean, I argue for a living and she's a strong woman. She's a Proverbs 31, 10 woman all the way to 31. And she exuberates the Proverbs 31, 10. And, but, but, but we understand our duties to each other. We understand the oneness. When you understand a biblical marriage, you understand that you're one. And, and scripture says, who would ever abuse their own body? Well, we know a lot of people do when they don't understand their worth and their self-worth and how much God is crazy about them. But, but still, but, but, but if you truly appreciate and love yourself and then your bride is your body, well, then you're going to treat your body well. You hope at least. I do. And, I, and, and so I always honor my wife. I always, I mean, I, I brag about her in a very you know, humble, but, but serious way. She serves us, as you know, Frank, one of our four children is on the spectrum of autism. And there, there's an 85% divorce rate in families with a child on the spectrum of autism. And we're in this thing together. And we, we, we pray over Michael, we pray together, which is powerful, by the way, Frank, we started praying together only, only three years ago, to be honest with you. And, I, and I've, I've been teaching for 12 years plus, but I mean, we only started praying three years ago, how stupid of me, right? But, it, you know, it's a blind spot I had. 
And, and so we, and it's just powerful. It's beautiful. So it's just, it made me even more humble. It makes me realize my duties to my wife. I have a duty to my wife. I have a duty to my wife, the way Christ felt, Christ served Ephesians five, right? I have a duty to her the way Christ served us and died for us and sacrificed for us. Well, that's my duty to my wife. And so that changes the game. When, 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 a, when a woman appreciates that, then it changes the game. And then it makes her want to do for her husband uh, what, what the husband is, is sacrificially doing for her, leading but, but as a servant leader. So um, it, it just changed everything. I, I've seen the change in our marriage in 14 years. Not that we had a bad marriage. We've never had a bad marriage, but it's, but it's always been refining uh, through me staring at Jesus. Yeah. Nico, I'm, I'm hearing these accounts that you share and I see the fingerprints of God all over them. And then I think back of how we began this podcast and you said you spent years basically in a bad place before you began to come face to face with, with the savior. You said it was trial and error. That was a phrase you used trial and error. You tried everything. What, was the circumstance, if there was a single circumstance or an event, what was the time or the circumstance where you finally said, ah, I think I found the answer that I've been looking for? Because a lot of our listeners may not have lived your trauma, but they have lived their own. And they may be searching for that same trigger, that same key that focuses them finally on the truth. Yeah, remember, I, I, it wasn't a circumstance, John. It was a realization. But, but I guess the decision has to be that you make your mind and your, your will and emotions open to Christ. So I, I, at some point, I said, okay, I'm going to give you a, a shot. How arrogant, right? But that's honestly the way I thought about it. So you, you have to be willing. You have to be open. And Scripture talks about it, right, about the seed that falls on, on the soil it falls on. It doesn't matter if it's rock, if it's, if it's thorny, whatever it is. And so I, I wasn't – you can – I mean, people, Jesus was rejected, right? I mean, oh, yeah. He was rejected by people from John six, all the way through the gospel. I mean, people rejected him all the time. So for me, I, I think I made the, the decision for me was that I was open, just open. That's all God wants. Like for this guy, who's a, I just said, just be, are you open? Because I am open because, because something he's doing wasn't setting was sitting with him well. And he wasn't, he didn't like the circumstance he was. And I'm not just talking about legal circumstance. I'm talking about, circum a life circumstance and um and so mine was a willingness to be open to the truth and then follow the truth wherever it leads you so for me once i was open to the truth and i said okay i'm going to look at this christian worldview and this guy named jesus because i really don't know what if i believe he's the messiah what that really means and i'll follow the evidence where it leads me i do that for a living and so i did that and then I, and then when I did that, I had a realization that, oh man, I am all, I'm way in this thing. I didn't realize how far in I am. I'm, I'm all in, I'm yours. This, this is true. And this has, this is the most significant journey I've been on. It has eternal consequences, but it also has immediate consequences too. Forgiveness had to have been a major issue for you. How did you manage that? Talk about the process, starting in the deepest depths and then to the point now where you can discuss this thing and see it through the lens of Jesus. Uh, talk to our listeners about the process you went through. Yeah. I made the mistake initially of, of thinking that I had to wait to feel like forgiving people before you forgive them. That's a huge mistake. You don't feel like it. You have to choose it. 
you shall we say, you know, my buddy George says also is that you choose Jesus and Jesus shows up after the choice. I think, I think we know that with Jairus in Matthew 5. He chose to leave his daughter when she was sick. She didn't feel like leaving her, but he chose to leave her. Why? Because he was hearing about this, this guy named Yeshua, so he left. And then Jesus showed up after the choice. He chose to stay with Jesus when the men from the house came to him and said, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother? Right? That's the, from the enemy. That's from the devil. The, the spirit of why bother? Why bother the master? And then it says in scripture that Jesus overheard this. And to me, I imagine Jesus whispering at him because it was crowded and people, he didn't know who was touching him. It doesn't say he was yelling at Jairus. I imagine Jesus whispering to Jairus and saying, Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. That's what he said. Don't be afraid, just believe. So the question is, are we close enough to Jesus that he can whisper in our ear? And can we choose Jesus even when we don't feel like it? So I decided to, to choose forgiveness. And it was a battle for me. I mean, think about it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very warm-blooded, half Lebanese, half Hispanic guy that used to fight. I mean, literally fight and compete in martial arts. And I was known for being aggressive. And 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 I, and it was a battle for me. It was a battle for me. And I chose it. And I, and I remember one time, you know, almost defiantly saying, "What do you know about forgiveness? Right? You're God." He's like, "You don't, you don't remember what it was like being on? Did you study the murder scene? Did you study the cross?" Father, forgive them for they not know what they do. And that doesn't mean there wasn't consequences. You get some woke, progressive Christians making it seem like that, you know, I mean, grace was free, but it's not cheap. I mean, everyone's in heaven. No, not everyone's in heaven. Jesus was modeling forgiveness and he didn't feel like it. He chose it. Scholars tell us he was unrecognizable. He was naked. He didn't have a cloth on. He was beat. Some, Some say his organs were exposed. And he was unrecognizable for me and you. And he modeled forgiveness. And what happened after he forgave? The supernatural happened. And it was a choice. There's no way he felt like it in his human form. I I guarantee you he didn't. Matter of fact, we know he didn't because he said, Father, you know, why have you forsaken me? Because he had forsaken him. He was supposed to for me and for you. So when I studied the practical aspect of it and the reality, I said, okay, I have to choose forgiveness and it's going to suck. And I, I mean, I would cuss when I'd pray, not at God, but just, I was just like, I, I effing don't want to do this. And mom, this is BS. But I choose it because you tell me, and I would just, I'd fight with myself. I was fighting it. I mean, I, there's people in politics that wanted my demise and I, I'm commanded to pray for them. I'm commanded to choose forgiveness. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm, we're not pacifists. Let's be very clear. We're warriors. We're, we're not pacifists, but we're, we're warriors that are submitted to our King, truly submitted to our King. And he tells us when to draw our swords. I drew it all the time. And so it was a choice, John. I just, it was, it was a battle, but it was, I eventually saw the evidence and I saw the beautiful example that Jesus gave me in the middle of his murder. He chose forgiveness and then the supernatural happened. And so I just, it was a choice. And then my feelings caught up after the choice. Hmm. Thinking back on my experience uh, not the same circumstances that led to it, but a similar process. I remember storming out of my house of an evening and walking through the neighborhood, wrestling with God over issues that uh, from, from our circumstance were focused between my wife's and my relationship. And I remember it's after dark and it's a spring day. So the windows are open, the screen doors are open. I can see people watching their televisions and I'm walking up and down the streets and I'm literally yelling at the top of my lungs 
you know, yelling, screaming, cursing, because I didn't want to have to do what I knew I had to do, something similar to, to yours. Mm. And finally, after about two hours, I was just simply physically exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I looked up and I said, okay, father, I give up, you know, whatever I, I, I'm going to trust you. I don't like it, but I'm just going to grit my teeth and trust you. And I clung to my father at that point, Nico, with what I call, I've come to call a fingernail faith, just gripping by the tips of my fingers because I knew he was there but I didn't have a very tight grip on him. Fortunately, he had a powerful grip on me and he used that little bit of belief that I offered to him. And he leveraged that into a a geyser of understanding and freedom and forgiveness that I'm still exploring now decades later. Mm. So I appreciate your story, man. I imagine Frank, you hear that sort of thing routinely as uh, you've pastored for so many years. Definitely. There's so many people that think they have to feel in accordance with what they're about to do. And I always remind them, did Jesus feel like going to the cross? Absolutely not. Did it count? (laughs) It better have counted or we're all in trouble. So you feel hypocritical, but in reality, you're actually walking in the very same path Jesus walked when you forgive people and don't feel like it. So it's a great reality. You know, Nico, there is a verse in John 6. Um, you talked about, I had to believe in and the feelings came. Mm. I think it's in 667, where Peter says, we have believed mm. and seen. So, you know, it's interesting in our English, in our American culture, we say, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Right. But faith says, uh, I will believe and then I will see. Mm, um, right. It's like uh, the Holy Spirit is, one Carlos Ortiz used to say, the Holy Spirit is like this 450 horsepower V8 engine, uh, but we have to turn the key. Hmm. And turning the key is the faith. And then this experience of vroom, uh, surges through us. Well, you know, it only happens when you have God confidence because you because you you've seen the evidence. I love it when mm-hmm. when I thought about that when I was looking at evidence and I was thinking to myself, what if I don't have enough faith in this area? And John the Baptist, I, I think I shared with you guys last time when he was in prison, right? He, Jesus, his response is so gracious. He said, "Tell him what you have seen, and what you have heard. I'm sorry, and what you have seen." So it, it was an evidentiary response. And so God gives us that. I mean, so faith, as we know, Hebrews 11.1 gives us the definition of faith. It's a great definition. I'm going to try and change it. But for me, to me, when someone says, what do you mean by having faith? You reach this level of persuasion. I'm persuaded. If I have faith in a doctor, I'm persuaded by them. If I have faith in an accountant, I'm persuaded by them. If I have faith in a teacher, if I have faith in a lawyer, if I have faith in a pastor, I'm persuaded by them. They can persuade me to do things because why? Because I have faith in them. That's what it means to me when you say I have faith. I have faith in the Lord and I have hope in the Lord. That means I, I, I trust him when I don't have all the facts. That hope leads me to this level of persuasion. Well, because I've looked and I've counted it and I've looked at the evidence and there's enough evidence for me to be persuaded that I'm not doing it irresponsibly or ignorantly, that there's evidence behind it. And she goes, oh, you know, you know, you don't have, you know, you don't have enough faith. Well, I, I, I do. I've got as confident. I have, I have complete confidence in God because of what he's done and shown up in my life over the years. 
And at first, I believe he gives us what we need. He might show up differently in someone's life early on because they have no faith. They have, they're not persuaded. And so there's going to be some more drastic things. And then here comes hell because the devil's pissed that, that somebody has left his stable, so to speak, or there. And when you're wandering, you're, you're in the devil's stables. You don't have to be with the devil and do something demonic and satanic to be in his stables. When people say, what, who's me? I don't know who came up with this, but I'm on the fence. Well, the devil owns the fence. Yeah, there is fence. no fence. There ain't no fence, Jack, in, in, in Christianity. I'm with Jesus, 100%, unapologetically with Jesus, period, end of story. Now, I want to be responsible with that. And that's when I study to show yourself approved, right? Second Timothy 2.15, to, to properly handle the word of truth so you're not embarrassed of Jesus. And that's what I see happening in the church, guys, is, is there, there's not a proper handling of God's word and lack of wisdom. And ignorance to God's word, true ignorance, is causing people to be embarrassed of it. And you have people that aren't addressing issues that should be addressed, but the world is. The devil's like, hey, don't worry about a church. I'll take that one. Oh, no, no, you don't want to take that issue. You, you got to be politically correct. Can you imagine the backlash? Oh, I'll take that one. Okay. And we hand over issues to the, to the secular world, ultimately to the enemy. And, and, and we don't have to. It does take courage. It does take courage. And, and scripture says, right, not to have a spirit of timidity. But, right. but people do, and I get it, but, but we're not called to. So there's a lot there. And I just, I'm really focused. My journey has been, how can I explain to people like a litigator in court, how to practically handle this evidence to come back with a verdict that is in my favor. And the irony is the verdict they come back with is going to be in their favor, not mine. But still, That's right. the analogy is still the same, that I'm going to present evidence. I'm going to practically handle evidence. I'm going to be persuasive. I'm going to be meaningful. I'm going to gain their trust without compromising truth. Like if I compromise the truth and I'm, I'm, I'm litigating for the other side, I'm not going to compromise truth. I'm going to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. And, and then I'm going to persuade. And so that's what, that's been my passion over the years. And I, and I believe the church needs that more to be honest with you. Yes, indeed. Peacemaker versus peacekeeper. Frank, you and I have kicked that around for years. What a profound difference that is uh, between those two phrases. Nico, I've got one more question, and it's my wrap-up question for everyone with whom we speak, and it's this. If you could leave our listeners with one supreme re revelation, you know, you're, you're, you're on the elevator with the president of the company, you got to give your elevator speech. What is the single most important message that you would like to leave with our listeners today? Well, I'm not trying to be too lawyerly on you. It depends on my audience. I mean, because the first question is, are you a truth seeker or are you a troublemaker? <laughs> both out there. So if you're a truth seeker, assuming we're talking to an elevator full of truth seekers, I would tell them Jesus is real. Are you open to following the, the evidence? That's it. Because that's, that, that's what it is to me. And have this real, don't think that you have to look for a moment. Look, there's going to be a realization in your life Again, like I said last time, when Michael Jordan realized it was a realization that he was good at basketball, then there was a realization that he was really good at basketball. And then at some point, someone figured out that he was great at basketball. I promise you, he couldn't tell you the dates on any one of those. I assure you that. Now, for some people, that it might be that moment that starts, it sparks, lights that fire. That's fine. I think that's very appropriate. And that's wonderful. And there's other people that do it insincerely, meaning that they have an emotional charge they, you know, they, they, they buy in and they, they sign up for Christianity instead of buy into it. Buy in means, you know, I got skin in the game. I'm all in. 
and they sign up. I don't want a bunch of people to sign up because ultimately they will quote unquote fall away or quote, lose your faith. I don't know how you lose your faith. I don't. I think you can question God. I think you can have doubts. We talked about that, I think, last time. So that's all very normal. But so I, I just, Jesus is real. I want to make a conclusory statement. Unequivocally, Jesus is real. Are you open and willing to follow the truth and follow the evidence? And if they are, then you take them on a journey to the evidence. And then they'll realize that Jesus is Messiah and he is who he says he is. Wow. Thanks so much, my friend. Frank, any last comments before we wrap up this episode? No, uh, it's been a joy to know you over the years, Nico, and see how uh, Jesus expresses himself uniquely through you. Um, that's wonderful about this body of Christ. You get to be you, and you don't have to be somebody else. And it's a wonderful thing to think that God wanted one of you. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, Frank, I want to I give you honor, like I always do. <laughs> uh, one, one time, years ago, we were talking. You were down here doing a little mini group thing. I, I don't know who had brought you down, but and you and I were talking, and you said to the group, you said you should be whoever it was. I'm the Frank expression of Jesus. And the Nico expression of Jesus. The, now, now someone can take that wrong and think that you that you're making up your own stuff. No, you said the Nico expression of Jesus. <laughs> so we have our uniqueness, but we're expressing the same truth. Yes, that's right. And so, so I, that always stuck with me, Frank. And I use it often, by the way. And I give you credit when I do. I say, "There's a guy uh, named Frank Friedman in Louisiana." And I always <laughs> I give him a little. I give him a little spiel for you. Well, I'll quote you when I steal Emmanuel. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, because he said it in a public arena, now in the public domain, so you can steal it and use it with impunity. Friends, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. And don't forget, check out our website, www.ourresolutehope.com. Follow us on our social media platforms. Thanks so much to Nico LaHood, San Antonio, Texas, for joining Pastor Frank and me today. And we'll wrap up with our standard line. Today, remember, friends, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.